learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So, likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our text today is the conclusion of what's called the Mount Olivet Discourse. In chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus laments over the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping, as it were, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's approaching the day of his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension, and he's weeping over his people, the children of Abraham, and their capital city, which will eventually be destroyed. The next chapter, the conversation continues with Jesus 
being at the temple where he's been weeping, he went to leave the temple with his disciples. And verse 1 says, they began to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, he's been there numerous times. I'm sure he's seen the buildings, but maybe they're showing him some unique features and some history of the temple complex that they found intriguing. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Christ begins to deliver his second longest address. The longest one is called the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to answer these questions that were asked of him. And our text today that you just saw dramatically portrayed is a conclusion of that discourse. And just before he goes down the closing stretch, he shares this parable. He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So this parable is a parallel. It's an illustration. A parable is a story or an illustration that parallels with real-life reality used to help people understand what is conveyed. So he just declared a whole lot of signs that would be indicators of the answers to the questions he was asked, and then he gives this parable or this parallel of the fig tree that when its branch becomes tender and it begins to put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. My father in his late days lived in Stockbridge, Georgia, and he had a fig tree in his yard. And I have tasted the fruit of freshly picked figs. It was awesome. And apparently in the wintertime, it loses all its leaves. But when it begins to bud and new growth begins to appear, it's because summer is coming and spring is here. So this parallel he's making is there's a season change. Season is coming. So just like you know that with a fig tree, when you see these signs I've been telling you about, know that the answers are here. He said, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for your help today as we deliver your word. Lord, help us to deliver with understanding where we understand and to allow you, Lord, to handle the areas we don't understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome to Parables, our series on the parables of Jesus as delivered through Matthew's gospel. Today we're going to talk about a parable of a fig tree or a parallel with a fig tree. Or a subtitle would be Understanding the Signs of the Times. So the text that we're springing off of today, I believe, is a key to applying 
everything he has said and is saying in Matthew 24. He said, now learn this lesson from the fig tree or this parable from the fig tree or this parallel. As soon as its twigs grow tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. So my understanding of that verse is in its application. And the application of this parable is just as we can read the coming changes of the seasons in a fig tree, so we too can read the signs that Jesus gave us in advance. Anyone can understand Jesus' predictions in Matthew 24. You know, earthquakes, I mean, how how can you misunderstand that? Wars, conflict, how can you misunderstand that? But not all people take them seriously. So the parable or the parallel of a fig tree is a warning. When you see these things, take heed. It's time for a change. Now, some people, in their zeal, for God's restoring the nation of Israel, which is an amazing fulfillment of prophecy, they have often misunderstood and help other people misunderstand the parable of the fig tree. They say the fig tree in the Bible is also the nation of Israel. It always is. That's not really true. I know you can make an argument, but the Scriptures doesn't clearly say that. Now, if you want a tree to represent the land of Israel, it's the olive tree. It's clear. It's in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament. Or the grapevine. It's clear. It's in the Scriptures. As Gentiles, we've been grafted in to the vine. We've been grafted in as a wild olive branch into the tree. But a fig tree is a unique thing. Now, I know Jesus cursed a fig tree because it wasn't bearing fruit, and the nation of Israel wasn't bearing fruit. But Christ didn't need to speak in mysteries during this discourse. He's telling them the truth. And he's given a simple illustration that just as you can tell that change is coming by the changes in a tree, so you can tell that change is coming when you see my predictions coming to pass. It's just that simple. This parallel is a key for applying Jesus' answers for three questions to our lives. He had gone on a tour of the temple grounds with his disciples He had predicted the destruction of Jerusalem, and while they are showing him the wonderful things in the temple, he told them not one stone is going to be left on another. This thing is coming down. And so his disciples asked him three questions. Tell us, when will these things be? What is that question? It's directly related to what he had just said. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I weep for you, but your house is going to be left desolate. How I've wanted to gather your children together like a hen gathers its chicks, but you will not hear. Oh, Jerusalem, see these stones, they're all coming down. This temple, as much as you guys like it, it's fixing to be history. So their response is, tell us, when will these things be? And then their next question, and what will be the sign of your coming? When are you coming back? Why would they ask that? Well, he had told them, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And I'm going to the father to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I will receive you to myself. So he had predicted his departure. He had predicted his return. And his return would involve 
receiving his people to himself to this house that is being prepared for them. That is us, the second return of Christ. So they're interested in that just like we are. What will be the sign of your coming? And the third question is actually the completion of the second question and of the end of the age. Tell us, when will these things be? When is this destruction going to happen to this place? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Three questions. I'd like to talk to you for the next few minutes on understanding the signs of the times. In answering these questions, Jesus did not communicate linearly, but he begins to answer their last question first. Remember more than once he said, the first will be last and the last will be first. So he answers their last question first, which was what will be the sign of the end of the age, or what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So what will be the sign of the end of the age that they were implying? And so what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So that last question is, what's the sign of the end of the age? And he answers them and says, take heed that no one deceives you. So religious deception is a sign of the end of the age. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now that can mean one of two things. Commentaries go both ways. The false teacher could come saying that Jesus is the Christ. That would be true but they're going to use that truth to draw people in as a springboard to lead them astray. Or that person will say, I am the Christ, and lead them astray. This is happening in our day. I remember in the 70s, there was this Jew, the Maharishi people were so fascinated with, uh, Pastor Foshi of Calvary Chapel, in Philadelphia, tells a story of him standing in line for two days to hear words of wisdom from this guru, 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 who was going to tell him the amazing secret. And he says, when I got up to him, all he did was blow in my ear. Well, this stoic, disciplined guru began to enjoy the good life, and uh, he was seen eating junk food and doing things that was contrary to his religion, So his brother back in India declared he was no longer the Lord of the universe. Now he was going to be the Lord of the universe. So they had to go to court to find out to see who was worthy of the title of Lord of the universe. That just shows the ridiculous things that can happen in these days of false prophets and false teachings. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And we've got more conflicts in our time than I can remember in my lifetime. It's happening all over the world. We even have internal conflicts. It's my understanding back in the 90s, our country had enough firepower to destroy the world four times over. In fact, to understand that one Trident submarine has more destructive power than all the weapons used by all the nations involved in World War II. So our country is armed to the teeth, and yet the world is in more and more conflicts. Homes are in conflicts. Churches are in conflicts. 
Governments are in conflicts. Races are in conflicts. See that you are not troubled. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So you may think this is the end, oh my goodness, but it's not. It's just the beginning of sorrows. It really is. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So you have national and international conflict. You got political conflict. You have governmental conflicts. You have racial conflicts. The word here Jesus used for nation is a word ethnos, which is the word from which we get the word ethnic. So we have cultural and multi-ethnic conflict. We have it going on in our day right now. I don't even have to mention it. You know what I'm talking about. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be pestilence, famines. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Pestilences. What is a pestilence? It's something that's a pest, something that's annoying, a disease, something that dis is your ease. It creates discomfort. COVID-19 would be considered a pestilence. And earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginning of sorrows. I have a question. Can you read the signs? Can you read the signs? This is a map of the earthquakes that have taken place today. Today is August 1st when I'm recording this sermon. And this is a map coming from one of the earthquake websites with some of the bigger earthquakes that have happened today. That's close to 30 earthquakes you can see there on the map. But there's a total of 47 that has happened in the last 24 hours. So there'll be earthquakes in various places. All these, all these things, from religious deception to internal conflict, external conflict, political conflict, economic chaos, health issues, all these are the beginning of sorrows. The end is not yet. It gets worse. For they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. This was fulfilled in the lives of the guys that heard it. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You can talk about any divine name in our culture today, but bring up the name of Jesus and somebody's going to get offended. Someone's going to hate us and call us haters while they're hating us. It's crazy. Verse 10, and then many will be offended. Sometimes I think we're citizens in the OSA, the offended states of America. I have never seen so many people who are so quick to misinterpret anything and put a spin on it and make it hurtful and then attack you with it. Always ready to play the victim card and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I used to think these two went together like because a person becomes lawless, then they become unloving, which is true. But this actually could be two different issues. 
or even two different persons. Your neighbor becomes lawless. Your love for your neighbor could become cold. Is the world having an impact on you and I? Are we being rocked by the world because of the uprising of lawlessness? Are we allowing our love to grow cold? If we do, we're going to be distracted. We're going to be robbed. We're going to get knocked off the course the Lord has called us to fulfill, and we're not going to man our battle stations, and we're just going to become a bunch of whiners, just like this secular world is becoming. Lord, help us to not let our love grow cold. Even though lawlessness will abound and is abounding, Lord, may our love grow hotter for you and for hurting people because lawlessness just creates more pain. Verse 13, but he who endures to the end, remember, the end of the age, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we've got a job to do. Are we doing our part in declaring the gospel of the kingdom in all the world? Are we going if God calls us to go? Are we sending if God calls us to send? Are we supporting if God calls us to support? Are we being faithful to pray for those who are on the front lines of world's missions to see this prophecy fulfilled, to do our part in seeing the gospel of the kingdom preached in all the world as a witness, and then the end shall come. So there may be people predicting the Lord's return. It's going to be next year or it has to be this week. But if the gospel hasn't reached the end of the world, he's not coming back. This is his promise. This is his prediction. And he holds true to his word. So the question for us today is, can you read the signs? Are you taking them seriously? Back to our parallel. Just as a fig tree puts on leaves as a sign that summer is coming, so the end of the world is coming. As you see conflict and lawlessness and chaos and deception on the increase, Are you reading the signs and are you responding appropriately? May the Lord help us all to repent and to return to the purpose for which he has called us. We're talking about understanding the signs of the times. Christ then began answering the first question. Tell us when will these things be? Of course, this first question was connected to his lament at the end of chapter 23 and his dire prediction of the temple's destruction at the first part of chapter 24. And so in verse 15, he continues talking, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So this is a sign that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Get out of Jerusalem and get out of the surrounding region when you see this thing happen. I'm not really up to date on what happened, 
that was a fulfillment of this prediction, but when it happened, they got out of Dodge. Now, years earlier, during the 400 silent years, there was an abomination that happened in the temple. They sacrificed a pig, which is an abominable thing, there in that temple before Herod began to rebuild it, of course, years earlier. So there was an abomination happening. So this is a prediction that something similar was going to happen. Rome was going to come in and do their best to defile that place. And, of course, they destroyed it. So they were warned, when you see these things, when you see this sign, get out of Dodge. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. I mean, be quick. Get out. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. It's going to be rough. It's going to interrupt your day. It's going to interrupt your traditions. It's going to interrupt your religion. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation. Can you say great tribulation? Then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Forty years later, the city was destroyed, and this kind of chaos was happening. When four armies, Roman armies, about 80,000 soldiers, surrounded the city and laid siege to it, there was a civil war that broke out in the city. These people drawing uh, people to their uh, leadership, promising them victory if they'll follow me. They began to set fires to one another's food, which only sped up the destructiveness of this siege. After studying the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, one can easily see how these words were fulfilled. Those who take them seriously enough to read the signs escaped and were not killed by the Romans. And even unbelieving Jews who paid attention were also spared. Now, in some rabbinic literature, believe it or not, they honor, you can Google it, they honor Simon Peter. Why would they honor him? One theory is that perhaps he was instrumental in saving the lives of many Jews at this point because he knew of the Lord's prediction. Watch this. As they were exiting the temple complex, one of the disciples said to Jesus, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Mark 13, 1 and 2. Did they hear Jesus right? Was he predicting the total destruction of the temple, the magnificent complex, the crown jewel of Jerusalem that had taken a half a century to build? As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? 
Mark 13, 3 and 4. Then Jesus went on to deliver a cryptic account of the signs of the things to come. He mentioned nation rising against nation, kingdom rising against kingdom, earthquakes and famines. Even the sun, moon, and stars would be dramatically affected. Jesus foretold the destruction of Jerusalem, and he warned his followers to be on their guard, for they would be arrested, tried, tortured, and killed on account of their association with him. Jesus talked about terrible times in the future, but he also gave hope for his glorious return to set things right again. Now, theologians have debated over the centuries what Jesus really meant in his discussion of the end times. There's a wide variety of opinions about these gospel passages, especially about the times and the seasons and the signs of this end of days scenario. But what we do know is that in 70 AD, some 37 years after Jesus gave this prediction, Rome sacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. The historian Josephus actually witnessed the siege and aftermath and said, now as soon as the army had no more people to slay or to plunder because there remained none to be the objects of their fury, Titus Caesar gave orders that they should now demolish the entire city and temple. Other than a few towers and forts for the Roman garrison, everything was destroyed. It was so thoroughly laid even with the ground by those that dug it up to the foundation that there was left nothing to make those that came thither believe Jerusalem had ever been inhabited. The Wars of the Jews, or History of the Destruction of Jerusalem, Book 7, Chapter 1. In an attempt to erase the memory of Jerusalem and Judea, Hadrian renamed this territory Syria-Palestina a complete eradication of Israel and Judea in favor of the ancient Philistines. Now, the Jews were strictly forbidden from entering their capital, except for once a year, on the holiday that commemorated the destruction of the temple. These massive stones lying here at the base of the southern section of the Temple Mount are a testimony to the fulfilled prophecy of Jesus. From 70 to 135 AD, the Roman soldiers completely stripped the Temple Mount bare. Every stone was thrown down. So let me ask you a question. Could Christ's hearers read the signs? Just as a fig tree puts on leaves when summer is near, so when you see these things, the Lord said, you know that destruction is near, get out of town, get out of Judea. It is believed that many of them went to Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities, Decapolis. The man who had demons, who was chained up in the graveyard that the Lord set free, we call him Legion, tied into what the demons said, that he was Legion, for we are many. It is believed, according to the scriptures, that he went to Decapolis, where he was from, and was a positive impact there. Would it be amazing one day to learn that that deliverance led to the deliverance of many believers? It would be amazing. Jesus echoed these warnings 
in Mark 13 and Luke 21. In Luke 21, he said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. When you see the city surrounded, get out. So here in this passage, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out. And in Luke 21, when you see the city surrounded by armies, get out. Don't stay and fight it out. You're going to lose. Destruction is coming. So back to our question. Could Christ's hearers read the signs, and did they take them seriously? And with that being said, are we seeing the signs for our generation, and are we taking them seriously? Lastly, Christ answers the second question, which is closely related to the last question. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end? What will be the sign of your coming? Verse 26, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out or look. He is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Don't predict the Lord's return, and don't believe those who predict it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So, basically what he's saying is wherever there's a carcass, you're going to see the vultures there. It just is. And so, when the Lord returns, we're going we're gonna to join him there. Don't worry about it. We're going to be there. This is another unique parallel. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So when he returns, it's to receive us to himself. So don't worry. You don't have to go to the mountains and hide and the caves and store up tribulation food. You'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So when that time comes, it's going to be apocalyptic big time on a galactic scale. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, for centuries, people have fought over whether or not this happens before the tribulation or after the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation. It does say immediately after the tribulation of those days, these things are going to happen. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So either we're in heaven and we're coming back with him, or he's gathering us together with those that are in heaven. We do know the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain at the Lord's coming will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. 
he continues about the parable of the fig tree. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Question. Can you read the signs? Did the generation of the days of Noah stop to read the signs? Why was this man building this huge boat where there was no water? Why was this man predicting rain, something that had never happened before? They were given a sign. Wicked generations are given signs, but their wickedness keeps them from heeding them. Are we heeding the signs that we are being given? Then, verse 42, men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? We're those servants. We're the stewards. He's given us ruler over his projects here on the earth. We all have parts to play in that. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. When the Lord returns, will he find us occupied in what he has called us to do? Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you don't have teeth, teeth will be provided. Are you reading the signs? Can you take them seriously? Once again, now learn this lesson, this parallel from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs grow tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Are you ready for the Lord's return? Or are you living as though he's never going to come back? And are you carousing with the world or fighting with the world or in conflict with people when we have a calling to fulfill? Don't fight with the people the Lord's called us to evangelize. Do not do it. And if you hear any preacher mocking evangelism, don't listen to them. We have a job to do. One day this planet's going to burn up as I understand it and we'll be gone. So in the meantime, let's not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us from your word. Help us, Lord, to read the signs just like we can read the changing of the seasons by the changes in a fruit tree. 
Lord, may we read the changing of the seasons and not be alarmed, not be afraid, not retreat, but be bold as lions and fearless as soldiers in the army of God, Lord, faithful to fulfill the calling with which you've entrusted us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're overcomers. We're pressing on. We're not going to allow being annoyed to mess with us. We're going to keep on keeping on because we've been called to be faithful. Can I get an amen? In the breakers, the storm, my faith, God, my rock, and God, my hope, you will prevail. You're the constant, the sea of change. What you've done and what you've said will never fade. What you've done and what you've said will never fade. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness always and forever. you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you. Go get him, tigers. <laughs>